earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We've been studying Colossians, and our series title is Don't Lose Your Head, inspired by Colossians 2.19. And the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today's part seven is called Carpe Diem, Seize the opportunity and we're tracing the idea of the supremacy of christ in all things as we scrutinize this intriguing letter to the colossian believers friends i'd like us to begin by contemplating the idea behind carpe diem carpe diem came to the fore in our generation with the 1989 movie the dead poets society In this movie, the lead actor, Robin Williams, plays the role of a teacher in an exclusive prep school. On the first day of school, he takes his class of boys into the hallway to look at some pictures on the wall, pictures of past but now dead graduates of this school. He then gives the greatest motivational speech a teacher could ever give, hoping he'd stir these new students to learn and excel in life. Passionately, he proclaims, We are fools for worms, lads. Believe it or not, each and every one of us will one day stop breathing, turn cold, and die. Step forward and see these faces from the past. They were just like you are now. They believed they are destined for great things. Their eyes are full of hope. But you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you will hear them whisper their legacy to you. Lean in. What do you hear? He then paused and in an eerie, grave-like voice says, Carpe diem! Seize the day, boys! Make your lives extraordinary! Friends, just like those pictures in the hall, we hold in our hands the Bible. On its pages are portraits of past, now dead graduates of U of C, the University of Calvary, whose headmaster was Jesus Christ. You see, we need to delve into these personalities from the past. They were just like we are now. Elijah was a man just like us. We're told in James 5.17, just like us, biblical people were human beings with a human nature, and now they're gone, and their bodies have fertilized daffodils, so to speak. But their legacy, their voices, their words have been preserved for us. If we listen real close, we can hear them whispering, lean in, what do we hear? Do we hear the passionate voice of Paul here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5? 
conduct yourselves with or walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Friends, can you hear carpe diem echoing here? Or redeeming the time. Your speech must always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. Here in Colossians, Paul is crying out to us today. Seize the day, Christians. Make your lives extraordinary. Now, Colossians 4, 5 that I just read is tucked in between verses 2 through 6, which is our portion for today. Listen in. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert or watchful with thanksgiving, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for the word or the message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I have been imprisoned. Pray I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Conduct yourselves or act with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, friends, as we're approaching the close of Paul's letter, I think it would be helpful to take a moment and briefly review where we've come in our journey and be reminded of key truths we've learned. Friends, in the opening eight verses of chapter 1, Paul set the stage for priority living and why a fitting nickname for Colossians is the Book of Priority Living. Paul's first priority was the will of God, mentioned first, first chapter, first verse. From chapter 1, we learned that when the will of God is our first priority, we as Christians will manifest at least six character qualities. We'll be faithful, gracious, thankful, prayerful, fruitful, and joyful. And from this book of priorities, we also learned we must give Christ the supremacy or first place in all things, this being our subtitle for the series. Christ deserves to be supreme in our lives because he already demonstrated he is supreme in creation, supreme in redemption, and supreme in the church. And this underlying theme of Christ's supremacy that runs through Colossians is significant because of the false teachers infiltrating this congregation with false teachings that were subtle enough not to deny Christ, but dangerous enough because they dethroned Christ from his supreme position and relegated him to merely another angelic being in their pantheon of thrones, powers, authorities, and rulers. In a sense, we could say these false teachers were beheading Christ, causing the Colossian Christians to lose their connection to the head, the head of the body, the church. In chapter 2, Paul introduced us to a cultic vocabulary of the first century, a series of buzzwords and phrases that the Gnostics and the Greek mystery religions used, these having particular meaning to Paul's audience and culture, words and phrases worth learning, as we've been doing. 
We also learned in chapter 2 that what scorns the supremacy of Christ in all things is the human tendencies of self-sovereignty and self-sufficiency resulting from the fall and sin intruding into our nature and world. These dual tendencies surface in our religious communities as well, where we set up human traditions and human rules, self-imposed systems of merit. These varied practices help us to feel like we're contributing something to gain favor or acceptance with God. Author Rebecca Manley Pippert once said, It's a profound irony that the Son of God visited this planet, and one of the chief complaints against him was that he wasn't religious enough. (coughs) Excuse me, friends. In chapter 3, we learned that, simply stated, the Christian life is a matter of focus. Christ is our focus, because he is above all. He is all, and he is absolute, as in absolute ruler. We also learned in chapter 3 that Christ's supremacy in all things included radically transforming the fabric of prior pagan relationships and associations common in the first century Greco-Roman society. These associations are epitomized in a single word of the times, households, households that typically included extended family, slaves, freedmen, servants, laborers, and sometimes business associates and tenants. You see, friends, Christ's supremacy in all things had a rippling effect in that society. Those pagan lords in the societal households who once held positions of supremacy were now called to relinquish their supremacy and transfer it over to the Supreme Lord, Christ. This brings us to chapter 4, where in these five short, pithy, proverb-like statements, verses 2 through 6, we discover Paul comes full circle and actually reiterates what he began in chapter 1, reinforcing his mantra of priority living. In verses 2 through 6, Paul, in a concise way, restates his original instructions and tags on a prayer request. Here Paul elaborates on the six character traits of the Christian, flowing from our first priority being God's will. We'll be faithful, gracious, thankful, prayerful, fruitful, and joyful. Now, the actual word faithful is absent when we begin reading verses 2 through 6. However, two other words furnish a clue, devotion and watchfulness which actualize the behavior of faithfulness. Devotion also adds the element of fervency. Watchfulness contributes the element of constant spiritual alertness. Second, prayerful is assumed by verse 2 in that we are to be devoted to prayer. Paul emphasizing prayer to the Colossians was significant. It meant staying in close contact with who? The head, Christ, and where this series title originated. Don't lose your head, because this head would supply these Colossians with counsel, guidance, and strength, since they were in the throes of a spiritually threatening environment, that being the infiltration of false doctrines. Third, thankful. 
Thankfulness is one important ingredient in prayer, as verse 2 tells us. Being thankful occurs seven times in Colossians as thankful, thankfulness, or gratitude. Friends, thankfulness should be a hallmark of us Christians. Our prayers should be saturated with an attitude of gratitude. Our prayers should be offered in a spirit of thankfulness. Thanksgiving is actually a protective mechanism in our prayers. Did you realize that? Thankfulness in prayer protects us from selfishness. Our requests to God should be accompanied by thanksgiving, per Philippians 4, 6. And fourth, joyful. And again, this word is not present in these verses, but joy is assumed by two other words here. First, thankfulness, which we just discussed, and then grace in verse 6. Previously, in one twelve, Paul stated that joy should accompany thankfulness, and in one twenty four he said, I rejoiced in my sufferings. Whew, that's not easy, is it? Now, the root of the word grace is derived from the word joy, and there's a link between grace and joy, in that we should be thankful that God chose to be gracious to us and through his Son, Jesus, bring us salvation. The natural byproduct of this is being joyful. Amen. Even Jesus was joyful in providing salvation for us. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy set before him, Christ, he endured the cross. Fifth, fruitful. This actual word doesn't appear either in our verses. But today, for today, the actions of fruitfulness does. In verses 2 through 5, the keys being Pray that God opens a door for our message so we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Make the most of every opportunity. Carpe diem. Make sure you know how to respond to each person. These are action-packed statements, friends. They point to the fruit borne by sharing the gospel message. And Paul not only speaks of his own fruit, but the Colossians bearing fruit as well as he introduced in 1.10. And friends, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? 4.3 tells us he was in prison. So was his prayer, Oh Lord, get me out of here. Oh Lord, deliver me from these chains. Come on, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm a king's kid. We don't see that in verses 3 and 4, but we do see this. While I'm in chains, pray that I may proclaim the message clearly as I should. Whoa! To who? Well, Philippians 1, 12 through 14 helps us here. Read these verses. Philippians is another prison letter. Paul amazingly had an attitude of gratitude. Do we? Let's zero in on what Paul did pray for. I'd say courage, as 4, 3, and 4 hint at. Pray that I may proclaim the message clearly, as I should. Paul asked for courage to do what he knew he should do. He also asked prayer for clarity, as verse 4 indicates. So Paul asked prayer for courage and clarity. 
Paul now reinforces his desire that the Colossians be fruitful. In verse 5, he exhorts them to act a certain way toward outsiders, in other words, pagans, making the most of the opportunities to answer them with the gospel. Carpe diem! Seize the day! Seize opportunities! He told them to speak graciously and sprinkle salt on their words. Remember, friends, these pagan converts were once pagans too, and they still have pagan friends to be a witness to. The pagans viewed Christian converts with suspicion, distrust, and disdain. You see, the pagans viewed Christians as atheists. There's a twist. Do you see now how important it is to put on first-century sandals and see and hear with first-century eyes and ears? First-century Christians were viewed as atheists because they no longer worshipped the gods of the Romans and Greeks. They were even labeled unpatriotic because they wouldn't burn incense to the image of the emperor, declaring that Caesar is Lord. Can you see now why the earliest, simplest, three-word creed, Jesus is Lord, was so controversial and dangerous? It was an affront to the deity accorded the Caesars, declaring that Jesus is Lord meant that Caesar was not. See how easy it is for us to say that? There's no repercussions. We don't live in a country where our president is the emperor, who requires every citizen to go to pagan temples once a year and sprinkle some incense on his image and say, Joe Biden is Lord. First century pagan converts were even accused of involvement in orgies since they spoke freely of their love feasts. They were also looked on with suspension, suspicion and thought to be cannibals because they ate and drank the body and blood of their new god. So the only way the pagan converts to Christianity could dispel these misrepresentations was to live virtuous and impeccable lives in and among their families, friends, neighbors, and business associates. Now, interestingly, the phrase, make the most of every opportunity, in verse 5, is only one word in the Greek, originally carrying the meaning of to buy out or purchase completely. And understanding this idea is acting ahead of time or being proactive, as is said nowadays. In the spiritual parallel, the lesson for us, friends, is we need to be buying out as many opportunities as we can, watching for them, creating them if necessary, having our spiritual antennae up at all times, and being available to actively share our faith. Lastly, graceful. Verse 6 says, be full of grace, seasoned with salt. We mentioned grace earlier, but the question we need to ask ourselves here is, are we dispensers of grace? In other words, are we demonstrating God's undeserved favor? Now, friends, we've been force-fed this definition of grace, and I bet many listening today can even quote it when asked. But what we need to come to grips with is, how are we living out this undeserved favor in our practical daily lives? Do we even know how to live it out? In other words, are we extending ourselves and giving to others what they don't deserve, but what they need? And in so doing, are they then seeing the God that lives in us? 
Do we even have the guts to parrot Jesus' line, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father? To the unchurched around us, or the pre-Christians, as many like to say today? And are we salt in their lives? Didn't Jesus say you are the salt of the earth? We know all about salt, don't we? How many of you are healthy enough to enjoy salt on your foods? Sprinkle some on your corn on the cob that's dripping with butter, or on your mashed potatoes. Once again, friends, we've got to strap on first-century sandals and discover the first-century uses of the term salt, because salty conversations meant adding spice to discussions, penetrating to deeper levels, fostering interest, inviting interaction. It also meant tasteful speech. In other words, not filthy or corrupt. It also implied being ready to answer questions. This is why Paul ends this portion of chapter 4 with, Let your speech be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. After all, brothers and sisters, don't we Christians have the most exciting news in the world? We should be able to share the message of the gospel with excitement and and able and have the ability to invoke interest, exhibit an understanding of the basics of our faith, and demonstrate a willingness to listen to others, to discuss things with others, seasoning our conversations with salt. Now, friends, salt is all, just also happens to create thirst, doesn't it? Remember when you last ate that slice of pizza with pepperoni, and afterwards you couldn't wait to drink something? You see, if we season our conversations with outsiders with salt, we then create in them a thirst. For what? For some living water. Christ himself and so we're back to the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of Christ in all things, and we do this graciously. So here in chapter 4, we've unraveled five short verses, but they sure pack a punch, don't they? These short statements by Paul actually present a challenge for us in the here and now, friends, don't they? Well, let's reflect on and think a little more deeply on these challenges before us. Let's be more devoted to prayer. Let's be more alert. Let's be more thankful. Let's courageously seek God and ask him to open more doors for us to share some good news with the hurting and dying world all around us. Let's seek God and ask him to enable us to proclaim it more clearly than it's ever been proclaimed, as we should Let's be a lot more wiser in the way we act towards unbelievers and make the most of the opportunities before him, before us. Carpe diem! Let's seize the day, seize the opportunities. And finally, let's always be dispensers of grace. Season our conversations with salt and learn how we should respond to each person who comes across our path. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I can see that we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will be closing with an email where you may write to me and share what these programs mean or have meant to you. I truly appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback on particular programs that speak to you or have impacted you in some way. 
One listener recently wrote in, referring to part four in this Colossian series, where I went into some detail unpacking the way of Cain. This listener said, Hey, Pastor Tom, I just listened to your program. You really address the fundamental principles of faith and following the law and what that means to believers who are fulfilling the law when they walk in the Spirit. I like the whole idea of following the law out of God's love and not for the requirements of duty. You went over the essential points concerning the attitude of the heart in regard to Cain and Abel's sacrifices. I loved that part. This teaching really spoke to me. You created a wonderful, logical argument that I want to incorporate into my own notes. Well done, brother! Well, thank you for that kind and encouraging comment. That meant a lot. And please remember, friends, all of the podcasts of A Word from the Word are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu icon for local program podcasts. And feel free to share these podcasts with family or friends who may be touched, blessed, or even challenged by these teachings. Additionally, A Word from the Word podcasts are also freely available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And friends, please keep in mind that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing or edifying you, please join A Word from the Word's support team, especially now during these challenging financial times. Supporters like you who give faithfully and sacrificially keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.